When I graduated college, my only goal was to get a job. Sure, I read the company's mission statement to prepare, but what the company valued didn't really alter whether or not I'd pursue the interview. All I knew was that I was graduating in the middle of a pandemic and needed to secure something. Fast forward three years and I've worked at small companies where everyone looked the same and big companies where there were numerous employee resource groups meant to drive diversity, equity, and inclusion. The difference between the companies was night and day. I quickly learned that I prefer working for a company that isn't shy about what it supports and sharing what it values. That's something that a lot of Gen Zers say is a non-negotiable for them right out of the gate. Figuring out what organization a company donates to, who it supports, and how it tackles corporate social responsibility is at the top of some Gen Zers' checklists when it comes to finding their next job. In our first episode, Heather McGowan told us how Gen Z is different from other generations as they entered the workforce. They had life experiences that had widespread impact, like navigating social and environmental issues and graduating into a pandemic. That's why Gen Zers want to help change the world, and they quickly realize that pushing big corporations to do better is a perfect place to start. Welcome to The Return, a work-life podcast from Digiday Media about what the return to the office looks like as we adapt to the new post-pandemic normal. I'm your host, Chloe Callahan, a reporter at WorkLife where I cover how modern workplaces and workforces are changing across six core areas, culture, technology, talent, leadership, spaces, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today, we are talking all about Gen Z's values in the workplace. Frankly, the majority of the stereotypes that are going on about Gen Z are, are, are incorrect and harmful. Um, I don't find them lazy. I don't find them not wanting to work. I don't find them lacking in social skills. You know, that could be true of any any generation. Um, I think you have to just simply understand what do they care about? Where do they come from? What are they trying to do? Because if you can harness their uh, sense of identity, their sense of purpose, their values, their desire to make an impact in the world because it's so much stronger in this generation than prior generations, then you can harness a lot of value creation in your organization. Heather raises an important question. What are these young professionals trying to do? Simply put, they're trying to make a difference. For a recent college graduate, Aldrin Villahermosa II, that means giving back to his community. Yeah, so in high school, I pretty much just had a huge interest in going into healthcare, particularly becoming a medical doctor. Wasn't really interested in like the huge, I want to be a surgeon, get paid big bucks type of thing. I was more focused on the aspect of giving back to my community, um, just because Hawaii is a small place and home is home and you always want to give back to the people that gave to you. Aldrin grew up on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. When he was in high school, he joined the Hawaii Pre-Health Career Corps an organization for students interested in pursuing a career in healthcare. It was a way for Aldrin to tour the medical school, get to know professors, and zero in on what kind of career he wanted to pursue. And it was just pretty much phone banking and asking these hospitals to tell us, oh, so who works for you? And like, so I just had to call and collect that data. But once that data was collected, we were able to see, oh, 
So this is how many um, providers are within this area, and this is how many people don't really have access to primary care providers or specialized care providers. According to the Hawaii Physicians Workforce Assessment Project, the state is short 776 physicians, with deficits in certain specialties as high as 75%. Additionally, the Hawaii State Center for Nursing estimates that the state has 300 to 400 fewer nurses than required to meet demand. The shortage of healthcare workers is severe enough that the state has created an emergency system for issuing temporary permits to out-of-state nurses. Over time, um, there's a trend with uh, medical providers that are aging and getting closer to retirement. And so that was going to become a larger issue in the future, and the future is now. And so we're kind of seeing the effects of the lack of access um, to healthcare providers in addition to the onset of the pandemic and how that kind of pushed more providers into retirement because they were like, I'm burnt out. And now there's not enough incoming medical providers to kind of fill that gap in need. Aldrin saw an issue and he wanted to be a part of fixing it. Where does that motivation come from for Gen Zers? I feel like it's a mix of everything. (laughs) But I feel like specifically amongst Gen Z, we definitely have more of a, what's the word, like intrinsic value to want to give back to others because we've seen how, we have seen how the world is like and how it's unkind to people, um, specifically in this day and age. But also with my upbringing in Hawaii, I don't know, you're just always raised to give back to others, but also respect your elders. And then kind of making sure that what you take is something that you're also giving back, making sure it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, You never want to take more than what you need, but you also want to give back as much as you can, especially if you have the means to do so. Um, And so for my situation, I saw that the means for me to give back was through my education and being able to actively mitigate the harm being done to my community. It might not be the same for all Gen Zers, but I feel like it's a good generalization that a lot of people can agree with. That's a big burden for one generation to take on. While Aldrin started college on a pre-med track, hoping to become a primary care physician, it was seeing that individualistic, unkind mentality that led him to change his path. Oh, yeah. To be honest, um, COVID definitely was... I wouldn't say the nail in the coffin, but it was definitely a factor that um, kind of made me think, oh, yeah, this is the right decision because the way the healthcare professionals were being treated in the workforce by the public, I mean, the first two weeks of lockdown, people were like, yay, support our nurses, support our doctors. And then after that, people got tired of the pandemic and lockdown. And then healthcare professionals started getting harassed, being called liars, and being deceiving the public. Um, And yeah, I was like, I don't think I'm cut out for that because, I don't know, (laughs) I don't think I could take that, uh, I guess, abuse in the workplace, especially when I'm trying to help people and they don't trust me. Healthcare takes a lot of trust and being vulnerable with your provider requires a lot of trust. And not that I can't do that. It's just, it looked very taxing and I didn't want to be burnt out within like two to five years of my first half of my career. 
In addition to standard pre-med courses like biology and organic chemistry, Aldrin also took classes in bioethics and African-American studies when he was in college. Bioethics kind of opened my eyes to more of the human uh, aspect and experience of healthcare in the United States. And then my African-American studies courses taught me about the systemic issues behind healthcare and why it is the way that it is today. And a lot of the roots in historically disadvantaged communities and the health disparities that they see, all of those things kind of culminated together. In addition to the fact that I hated organic chemistry and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> but I found more of an affinity towards addressing those systemic issues. And that kind of led me down a path to where I am today, finishing my MPH. Aldrin graduated in the spring with a master's in public health. He says that with this degree, he can do his part in tackling the healthcare accessibility issue, especially in local communities. He knows it won't have the same financial compensation if he had stuck with the pre-med route, but he didn't pursue public health for the money. Finding a way to give back to the community or support the community in being able to survive in the environment that they created is one of the huge things that I look at. And then if an organization or company has a mission statement or values page, I try to look through that and see what their values are, how does it align with mine? Um, do they actually follow through with their mission and values in terms of, for example, community engagement or actually doing the things that they set themselves out to, to be doing? So what do Gen Z workers value, and how are they bringing those values into the workplace? New graduates, like Aldrin, are still being selective when they're applying because they are looking for the full package. Fair compensation, flexibility, solid benefits, and most importantly, a workplace that has similar values to their own. One thing that I admire about Gen Zers is that, you know, Number one, they don't have to force themselves to fit in a mold. Jill Feliciano is the Global Head and Vice President of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging at Sales Enablement Platform Highspot. You know, as we think about the workplace, yes, Gen Zers will focus on the culture as the primary driver um, even before they even um, begin to apply. And some kind of helpful data and stats um, that I've learned is um, there was a recent study in Monster that said 83% of Gen Z individuals stated an employer's commitment, diversity, and inclusion is significant when choosing where to work. Another poll found 75% of people in Gen Z said they'd reconsider applying to a company if they weren't satisfied with their diversity and inclusion efforts. So those data points really drive the point home, Chloe, that we're talking about. If that core value, evidence of that core value is not there within the organization, then they will often opt out of pursuing that company as an option for them. Jill has worked in DE&I for 17 years, even before it was called DE&I. In that time, she's seen it go from a compliance tool for companies to make sure they abide by government requirements to the business imperative that it is today. I think leaders themselves went through kind of this psychological change because of the world and the condition of the world that they experience and recognize that people are so much more than just resources or just colleagues. 
and that we collectively must harness environments that allow all employees to truly show up as they are. Because when we do, we have found out over the last couple of years that we actually drive better business results. And she says if she can point to one group who has served as a catalyst for this change, it is definitely, hands down, Gen Z. Gen Zers value systems, like the time they were born and how they were infused with um, technology and um, the political landscape that they were introduced to really change the aperture in, in terms of how they saw the world and the possibilities of the world. Gen Zers also recognize that their collective voice has power and strength. And I sometimes correlate that to them possibly watching parents who were part of unions and driving change and political movement. They've recognized that if they're all saying the same thing and pushing for the same thing, that numbers have power and strength and people have to listen, right? Um, so Gen Zers have been the most vocal and bold in stepping up to the plate and talking to leaders, challenging organizational hierarchy. And they're not afraid to hold folks accountable, right, for the things that they've expressed are important. And they want to know if leaders are going to follow up. They, they want to know and they're going to continue to have the conversation. So this is a generation that we cannot deny in the workplace. And we cannot be successful without them. That means that some companies have to readjust to attract Gen Z workers. But it's a fine line because Gen Z can spot performative actions from a mile away. They will challenge us to go back and do our research. Um, but everything from comp as well as to leaders' behaviors, right? And how they feel leaders treat them, respect them, and value them. So we'll start to see kind of some of the direct feedback through there. They are having real courageous conversations with their managers <laughs> directly. And their managers, you know, are very committed to answering those questions. But some of their managers admit that they challenge them to think differently, which I think is great and it's, it's beautiful. Um, and it, it, it truly causes a catalyst for change. While companies need to consider changes when it comes to attracting and retaining Gen Zers, Gen Zers also need to consider what to do when they're offered what looks like a dream job on paper, but ultimately lacks in the corporate social responsibility category. What if you have to make your workplace reflect your values? What does that look like? For more and more young workers, that means unionizing. That's after the break. I'm Genesee Flores-Santos. I'm the Associate Publicist of International Sales at HarperCollins Publishers. And I'm also now a union steward for the HarperCollins Union, part of the UAW Local 2110. According to the Center for American Progress, Gen Z is the most pro-union generation in America today. Across education level, ideology, and gender, Gen Zers report widespread support for unions. The AFL-CIO, the largest federation of unions in the United States, found that an unprecedented number of young Americans, 88%, support unions, and 90% support workers going on strike to negotiate for better wages and working conditions. 
In 2023, labor strikes made headlines, including a 9,000-person strike at Rutgers University, Business Insider's 13-day strike, the longest digital media strike ever, and WGA and SAG strikes effectively shutting down Hollywood for the summer. Genesee was one of the youngest in the HarperCollins union. I graduated college in June of 2020. And from there, I uh, had applied to graduate school and I had gotten rejected from all of the graduate schools that I applied to. And at this point, I was 19 and freaking out. I was like, who, A, who the hell is going to hire a 19-year-old? Like, first of all, I'm a teenager. Second of all, I've known school for my whole life. And you're telling me no more school? Like, you can't go to school anymore? You have to go out into the world? I, I essentially was like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. But in my heart, for my own self and what I knew, the things that I wanted to do, I was like, I wanted to, my dream was to move to New York City. Specifically, her dream was to move to New York City to work in book publishing. So she spent the summer after graduating saving up money for this move by working in a warehouse packing orders for garden gnomes. And in September, September 6th, 2020, I got on a plane and I moved and I brought, it was, it was me and two suitcases and a duffel bag against the city. For a while, she was working three jobs, waiting tables, was part-time at a bookstore, and interning unpaid at the bookstore's indie publishing house, all while sending out application after application. After a month's worth of interviews, she finally got a step closer to that New York City book publishing dream with a job offer from HarperCollins. I, I got a job, like, in publishing at a big five at HarperCollins. I was like, I've been wanting to work at HarperCollins for years. Like, this is this is my dreams coming true. I, I quit my old job at an indie house, and I started at HarperCollins. And it was it was great. My, my manager was very supportive of me. She cared about my career. If I had questions, she would answer them. And if I, if I needed help, she would help me. Um, however... This is now a corporate entity. HarperCollins is owned by News Corp, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Um, And the corporate entity proved to be very different than I had anticipated. They would toot themselves for the diversity initiatives that they were enacting. They would like, pat themselves in the back for ideas that were union-driven, HarperCollins union-driven. It became from, like, a dream to work at, like, enjoying my job and enjoying the things that I was doing to, OMG, like, what just happened in this diversity training? Like, did this woman truly just say LGB and just forget the T? Like, did everyone notice that? Because we noticed that. Or just, like, the waves upon waves upon waves of women of color who would just leave the company. Those were the things that I was noticing about the corporate entity. And those were the things that I was seeing. And I was like, This isn't what I signed up for. 
But Genesee wasn't the only one noticing these things. The HarperCollins Union, which Genesee was now a part of, was noticing too. The workers at HarperCollins have been unionized for more than 80 years, and among the big five publishing houses in the city, they're the only ones with the union. When HarperCollins' labor contract was up for negotiation in December 2021, the union asked for better union protections, more parental leave benefits, commitment to more diversity in the workplace, and an increase in starting salaries from 45000 to 50000 They failed to reach an agreement and spent most of the following year working without a contract. Until October, when 95.1% of the union voted to authorize a strike. On November 10th, 2022, myself and about 250 other members of the HarperCollins Union went on strike. Pre-strike, I, I was like, things can get better. Things will get better. And then we went on strike. And then we were on strike. And then we were on strike and we were on strike and just strike, strike, strike for three months. In total, it was over 90 days, like including the weekends. The official strike count would not count those, but it was a long time. And that broke me. It broke the way that I thought about this company as like the dream of all dreams happening to me. And then them essentially being like, smoosh, your dreams are worthless. The work that you do, we can find someone else. Publishing is built off the back of like, a hundred other girls would kill for this job. So for me, it's not my dream anymore, my dream company. My dream company is someone that values me and the work that I do. According to that Center for American Progress report, not only is Gen Z the most pro-union generation today, they are more supportive of unions than older generations were when they were younger. And across the country, they are joining unions. When a Starbucks in downtown Cleveland decided to unionize, employees as young as 20 signed their cards. In Buffalo, as young as 17. And it's because they're seeing what Genesee is seeing. Prices increasing while wages stay the same. A college degree meaning less and less. And an American dream getting harder to reach. I went on strike because, and I would say that like a lot of other folks went on strike because they were seeing what the company was doing. They were seeing that we were getting wages that were not comparable to the way that you have to live in New York, like just to, you know, get by. I have friends who currently have more than one job. Um, I know several people who have had to leave the industry because they cannot afford to live on the industry's standard salary. 
they don't value as a company value the work that women of color do or people of color. They see us as disposable. They see us as objects to keep their publishing machine moving. I wasn't not going to go on strike. It was never a question of should I or should I not. Since that first one day strike, it was always, I will, I'm going to go on strike if it comes to that. If it comes to an indefinite strike, I'm going on it. And it was the hardest three months ever, ever in winter. My eyes got so dry that they were beginning to like swell and peel. It was insane. The fact that HarperCollins left their employees out there like that. Genesee and the HarperCollins union picketed outside the company's headquarters in Manhattan's financial district from November 10th to February 21st during a winter in which temperatures in New York got as low as four degrees. Striking workers were not paid their regular salary during this time, instead getting just $400 a week in strike pay from the union. Despite their grueling conditions, Genesee is grateful for the community she built with her fellow workers. Even though it was like the most difficult experience ever and it was horrible, like physically doing all these things, throughout the strike, there was something that I was so fortunate to like be a part of. And that was the building of like essentially a community. Most of the people on strike, I didn't know them prior to the strike and I would not have met them if we had not gone on strike. I feel like a large union busting tactic that the company likes to implement is like keeping everyone so separate and like siloing them off into like, well, you work in children's and you work in adult. Well, you work at this imprint, you work at that imprint, like stay in your lane. And that's like their method, you know, so nobody gets to know each other. But now it's like, I, I, I know so many people from this strike and I'm so grateful to know them. I'm so grateful that I got to like meet them and have conversations and build relationships with them because now that's a bond that will, that cannot essentially be broken because it's a very unique experience to go on strike and I wasn't the only one to do it. So now there's, 100 other people, 250 other people who can relate to me in that aspect, who I have been able to build friendships with that are lasting. And I'm so, so thankful, so happy for that part. That's like one of the best things to come out of the strike for me was this community that I built from the union. On February 16th, 2023, the HarperCollins Union ratified a new contract that improved compensation and benefits across the board, including higher minimum salaries, more overtime for the lowest paid employees, improved union rights, improved paid time off, and more. The union win at HarperCollins was significant, but it wasn't the only one this year either, showing that young professionals are here to demand change. 
Temple University grad students went on strike for six weeks, which resulted in a new agreement with partial health care coverage for dependents, increased parental and bereavement leave, and a 30% salary increase over the life of the contract. At Rutgers, their agreement increased the salaries across the board for full-time faculty by at least 14% by July 2025. And after that business insider strike, they got a new contract that increased the salary minimum for staffers from $60,000 to $65,000 a year, including a pledge to not lay off any more employees for the rest of the year and offered an immediate 3.5% raise for most staff. Like Aldrin, Genesee feels a weight on her shoulders being a part of Gen Z, the generation who has been told they're going to change the world. Technically, it's like, well, we are the future of work. And it's like, whoa. (laughs) And I do want better, you know, like I... I'm the oldest of three. My youngest sister is three. She's three years old. And I don't want her to walk into the things that I did. I don't want her to have to go into like a separate workforce and feel the things that I felt or do the things that I did to like struggle so hard to get a job in what she wants to do in the field that she wants to get a job in. Like, I I don't think that people should have to to struggle to get a job in what they majored in. You know, like, we, we as, like, a generation were fed that. As a generation, we were fed the truth, the, well, the lies, essentially, that if we went to a good college, we would get a good job, a high-paying job. We'd better everything. And it's like, we were lied to. Instead, instead, we've gone into a generation of kids that ex- have experienced mass shootings like no other. Instead, we've gone into a generation of kids that have experienced student debt like no other. We've gone into a generation of kids that are like, scared to even go to college. Because it's like, at what cost? At what cost do I go to college? You guaranteed me a job and now I'm graduating and I'm not getting a job. How the fuck do I pay these student loans? I went to the fancy school you told me to go to. Like, I feel like as a generation, Gen Z is kind of angry. It's like we did all those things and we're not getting any of the benefits because prior generations were like, capitalism? That sounds really good. That sounds really fun. And then now we're like, oh, I'm never going to be able to afford a house. Like, I will be a lifelong renter. For all of those angry Gen Zers, Genesee has one piece of advice unionize your workplace. It is where you can organize to build community in the things that you are doing and create effective change. You know, like that union activities are protected by the government. They are protected by the National Labor Relations Board. Um, If you get fired from your job, you can sue. You can go to court. So that's like my biggest piece of advice just because I know that for me being in a union being able to take part in this has helped me to remember that it's not like I don't have to be the one to create change like I shouldn't be the one to create change because change shouldn't come from a person it should come from an organization of people so organize your workplace I'm so happy to be part of a union 
Even after a 90-day strike, Genesee's mindset hasn't changed. She continues to believe in her dreams coming true and creating change for the future of publishing and beyond. I am an optimist. And for me, I've always said that dreams do come true. And that's kind of what guides me in my day-to-day life. In my head, I'm like, dreams do come true. In my head, I look at my life. I look at the fact that I wanted to move to the city in 2018, but I couldn't afford to. Two years later, I did. Because I I said, dreams do come true, and this is what I want. And I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen at whatever cost, because these are my dreams. Then I said, okay, I want to work in publishing. That is my dream. And so I did. Then I was like, okay, I want to create change in my company. I want to build community. I want to build community in the things that I'm doing. And I did. Dreams do come true. This season on The Return, we will look at how Gen Zers attitudes have changed the workforce. Next week, we'll hear from a job-hopping Gen Zer and how this generation is less loyal to a company than in the past. This is your host, Chloe Callahan. Until next time. The Return is brought to you by Digiday. This podcast was written and reported by me, Chloe Callahan, and produced and edited by Sarah Patterson.